Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast, the only podcast that brings you the incredible stories of all of the founders, business leaders, and entrepreneurs here in our great city that are shaping our growth. This is Mike Minucci. I'm one of your hosts on the show, along with my co-host, Josh Witt. And today, we got the chance to talk with Joe Kahn, the founder of Condado Tacos. And Joe's got a great story. He's been in the restaurant business his entire career. So he's got a lot of great insights, and we all love Condado Tacos. So I hope you enjoy this episode, and we hope you learn a lot. Before we get to that episode, though, as usual, we got to take a quick moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus, and their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to work with like-minded businesses to raise money and participate in large-scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunity for youth in our community. To learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That's smallbizcares.org. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. All right, Congress, let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get, you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost. And so like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. Today on the show, we've got Mr. Joe Kahn joining us. And Joe is the CEO and founder of Condado Tacos. Condado Tacos is built around a build-your-own taco concept, and they got their start in 2014 right here in Columbus. And today have over 13 locations in multiple cities, including six here in the greater Columbus area. We're really excited to have Joe on today to talk tacos and learn more about his story Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Joe. Thanks, guys. Uh, I appreciate you having me and uh, letting me tell my story over the f- last five years of this crazy journey so far. 
Yeah, it's really exciting to have you on. I think Josh and I both have spent many a night in Condado Tacos, so it's exciting to have you here and learn a little more about the team. I remember half of them. So. Yeah, no, we yeah. appreciate that. I mean, that means we're uh, doing our job uh, getting you guys in there. Right, and going back. Times. I mean, yep, you know, exactly. The, uh, I think it's the experience with Condado Tacos that really does it. But uh, before we dive into that, let's talk a little bit about life leading up to found at Condado. So sure. what were you doing before? Maybe even all the way back to like childhood and things coming yeah. through that, like some key highlights, key points that you feel kind of led to this path. Sure. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's been a wild ride, but I started my career and, uh, at the age of 15, first job was a uh, sizzler steakhouse, uh, while I was, I was going to high school and, uh, made my first, uh, 15, 16 bucks as a busser. And I was hooked in the industry that uh, fast cash and uh, you know ever since then I just kind of traveled around and worked my way through the restaurant business um, you know worked my way up to serving bartending I moved to Colorado when I was uh, 18 or 19 I think it was and were you uh, always from Ohio like did you move no from- actually I'm from Chicago okay and went out to uh, Boulder and uh, the first job out there was uh, serving as a roller skating waiter I had to rent my skates uh, I think there were, uh, I don't know if you guys know what skates are, you're a little younger than me, but uh, rent my skates for like four bucks a week because I, I went the, down the there with no one. The, yeah, the with like four thing. wheels on them? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, I know those. And it was a circle restaurant and we were going round and round and round. But uh, yeah, just worked my way through the restaurant industry and uh, eventually ended up through management. Ended up doing some consulting before I had the opportunity to open uh, Condado. I had, uh, you know, consulted on a few other places and a few other concepts and had some great ideas out there, but uh, was saving the best for what we're doing right now. So So that entry into the restaurant industry when you were in Chicago, did you always grow up thinking, you know, you were going to take that path or did you have something mapped out like a journey that you wanted to take in terms of who you wanted to be when you were older? Um, I did. I was a little lost. Uh, you know, I went into the business and uh, really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And, and when I started it, it really was love at first uh, first job, I guess. Uh, I love the fast pace appeal of the restaurant, the uh, easy money, I guess you would call it. My dad, uh, I remember him telling me he's a great guy, but he's like, if you don't get out of the restaurant business, you're going to end up being a garbage man. So do something with your life. And uh, obviously, I'm, I'm glad I stuck with it. And uh, uh, turned into a, a very big industry. I'm, I'm 47 now, so 32 plus years in the business. Uh, it's evolved from what it was back then to what it is now. Definitely. So you moved from Chicago to Colorado, mm-hmm. get the next job, and yep. content, kind of continue way up. Were you always working at the same company? Were you shifting around different company to companies? You switched from, you know, t- you know, waitering on yep. skates to management. Yeah. I just I really fell in love with the business and I you know it, it was always the dream from 20 on that I wanted to open my own place uh, never had the resources never had somebody that really believed in me to take on a partnership and invest in me so going through there it was just learning as much as I could I mean I was in the fine dining aspect at one time serving thousand dollar bottles of wine and I was in the dive bars shitty dive bars uh, selling dollar fifty you know Bud Lights and I really was just taking notes the whole time, waiting for my opportunity to, to uh, take on a partner or somebody to invest in me. And uh, you know, I knew what I wanted to do and I knew what I didn't want to do when I did have the opportunity to open. So my college degree was really the, the work in all these different companies that I had uh, worked through. So what were those two sides of the coin? You said you knew what you didn't want to do and what you didn't want to do. What did that mm-hmm. look like for you? 
When I uh, had the opportunity to open my own uh, restaurant, I, uh, the one thing I didn't want to do was open a place where my employees or my guests felt like just a number. So we believe in culture at Condado Tacos and uh, uh, creating the perfect place meant that we were invested in our guests and we were invested in our coworkers that work with us. Uh, I consider them partners. They're you know, coming in to uh, work to do a great job for me. And uh, I, I hated going through the business where you would walk in or you would work at a place and uh, you would wear the black shirt, black pants, black shoes, black tie, and you just felt like a number. And when you go up to a table, it's, it's this whole spiel of how I welcome my name is blah, blah, blah. And uh, it just never felt authentic. So those were the bad experiences, I guess. And the good experiences were places like Edison's Pub that I managed, uh, you know, 10 years ago or 12 years ago. And uh, it was just a really laid back environment. And I could come as I was, meaning I could wear whatever I wanted. I had a deal with the owner that I would get like 6% of the sales if I could improve the bar sales. So there was a lot of freedom there. And I knew if I had the opportunity, I would like to open a place like that. So those are the two different sides of the coin, I guess, uh, uh, going through this business. So when do you get the opportunity to do that then? When do you get the chance and what, what came about that you got the opportunity to start a place like Condado. And what even brought you from Boulder back to Columbus? Because I think that part's still missing. Well, unfortunately, uh, we all uh, go places for usually for a girl or a significant uh, hmm. a loved one. And uh, I followed a girl, and it uh, lasted about two weeks. So I was stranded in the middle of Boulder for quite a few years. Great experience. I loved uh, Colorado and got to travel through Aspen and all over the place. But uh, came back to Chicago to... Uh, be with my family and uh, what was the other part of the question I'm sorry and the path from Chicago jumping back to Columbus then yeah so the path from Chicago I spent a little time in Cleveland met my wife and then moved into uh, Columbus when I, I had the opportunity to find two great partners that really believed in me believed in the concept that I wanted to create and uh, we all put a third of the money in and and took a chance on uh, Columbus being the great testing ground of uh, the nation so the rule of thumb is if you can do well in Columbus you could probably do pretty well all over uh, the country so great testing ground for that so we knew we wanted to start in Columbus because we knew we had something special and if we could make it here we could then ramp our growth and go out into new markets and keep testing and and see how successful we could be so it was the first restaurant then the one on high street like yeah uh, over by kind of near fifth yeah and it was you know a little off of the short north there wasn't much over on that side and we took a chance thank god we did i mean people you know it took four or five months until people knew what we were doing in the restaurant and we were doing okay but literally about six months into it it just popped and all of a sudden you had uh lines out the door and uh, two, three hour waits and we knew we had something special. So talk about meeting those two partners. How did you originally come into contact with them? Um, actually, it was a friend of a friend and I sat down with him and he, uh, his name is Tom and he ended up, we ended up talking and I told him my, my dream of opening a restaurant and he goes, I'm a very picky eater. This would be something that I would enjoy. And uh, 
you know, months uh, kind of uh, putting, you know, going back and forth and telling him about it and doing a formalized business plan. And he said, yeah, let's, let's invest in you. But he also wanted to share some of the risk with a partner that uh, he had been uh, on a board with as well. So uh, we all got together and took a couple more months hashing things out. And uh, I got really lucky to meet them and they've been great partners. Uh, they um, are hands off and we, we meet for real estate meetings and our quarterly meetings and we discuss big things, but they truly let me run the business how it should be run. And talk about, if you're comfortable with it, their background versus your background. You talk about making a business plan. Yeah. Was it something that you were comf- comfortable with or familiar with? And a- Yeah, I, absolutely not. No, I had no background like that. And uh, I had all these great ideas. And luckily, my wife is brilliant. So she knew how to write a business plan. So she helped me through it. And something that I thought would literally take months to write poured out in like an hour. And, and what you see on those uh, beginning pages is, is really 95% uh, uh, to the core of what Condado is to this day. So uh, it was pretty special. But no, I had no background in that. I think the partners understood that and, and they just wanted to really see something on paper and what the plan is and you know what are we gonna average for our food cost and what's our prime cost gonna be and all this kind of stuff. They just wanted to see something on paper. So early on, you mentioned six months before it really popped. Was there ever any points early on that you thought, oh man, like? Maybe this isn't going to work. Maybe I messed up here. No, I always believed in it. Mm-hmm. The key to this is you have to get your coworkers and your staff to believe in you. So the culture that we created, they had to believe what I was doing. And I'm the guy that executes through hard work. So I just kept my head down and I worked these 16, 17, 18 hour days for a very long time, mm-hmm. uh, years and they bought into what we were doing and they bought into this has to be the best product this has to be the best energy environment this you know all of that stuff how we treat our guests how we invest in our guests how we invest in the staff and they bought in but there yeah there were always times that i would wake up i remember in the beginning i would wake up and um, check the bank account to make sure that the the money was still there and if payroll cleared at at 3 30 in the morning you know, I would get up at, at uh, 3.31 uh, after working till 2 a.m. and uh, get up and check the account and go, Whew. they all they all cleared. Thank God I still have my staff here. So, yeah, I mean, there were definitely times, but I always believed in what we were doing, and, and uh, it was either go big, go home, and it either works or it doesn't work. So there were... There wasn't the fear that um, if it didn't work, the life was over. It was, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it right. And if it works, great. If not, it's over. And then I go back to managing restaurants or, or bartending or serving or consulting or whatever I was uh, wanted to do at the time. So you sit down and write the business plan. What in your mind was going to separate you from all the different restaurants out there? I mean, you mentioned a little bit regarding uh, the ability to not be a number and like the internal culture, the employee culture. Yep. Did you see that as your your main differentiator? Do you think that would reflect externally? Absolutely. Again, you know, my my servers and you guys have been there, servers, bartenders, managers, they come in feeling like they're part of something. So they don't come in in a uniform. They can wear whatever they want. They have the freedom to be exactly who they are. I don't tell them you have to say this spiel at the table. Let's hit these points. Let's tell them how to make a good taco. 
Let's warn them against ordering 10 tacos because that's too much. You know, let's steer them towards the right things. But um, say that part again. I'm sorry. Just thinking back on the main differentiator. And it was yeah. a while back, so yeah. it might be a little bit hard to reflect on. No, no. I mean, that was the culture is the main differ- differentiator, I think. It's also our commitment to always serving a craveable, high-quality product at an inexpensive price in a exciting environment. And if we weren't going to achieve that, we were not going to make it. So we did not serve crap. If, I mean, I remember we were getting so popular that we would make these big batches of our dirty sauce or our crema. And I would go and I'd taste every single recipe. And if it was wrong, we wouldn't try to fix it because that's what a lot of people will do. And then you can never get back to what it's supposed to taste like. It was throw all the product out, start over again, right? Or if something came in and, you know, the beef brisket was too fatty and we didn't have time to go back out to, you know, wherever we were getting our beef brisket or it couldn't be delivered, we just wouldn't serve it. So we always had that commitment to high quality craveable. Even when I was making tacos on the line, it had to be wrapped a certain way. If it came down the line and it was too messy and I saw it and the shell was broken on our double decker, I'd be like, don't just replace it, throw it out, let's go again, let's make it. And we're serving stacks. I mean, we're serving thousands of tacos a night. So I'm sure the staff uh, didn't love me at the time, but it taught all of us a very valuable lesson in the company, which is serve the most consistent, craveable, high-quality food at an affordable price in an exciting environment with a lot of culture. Hey there, Conquerors. We're going to take a quick break in the show here to tell you about one of our sponsors, Mixed Wonders. Creating a podcast is a ton of work, and a lot of heart and soul goes into your work, and that's why you want your audience to have the best listening experience possible. And that's why we work with Mixed Wonders. Mixed Wonders is an agency that helps podcasters like us get the most out of their audio. And whether you're spending four hours mixing your podcast each week, or you just can't seem to get the level of quality you want out of your audio, Mixed Wonders makes it super simple to get pop star level audio at a low price. For a limited time, they are offering to mix your first episode for free. So just go to mixwonders.com, that's M-I-X, W-O-N-D-E-R-S.com to sign up for a free mix or consultation. Save time, sound professional, mix wonders. So the business plan is done. Yep. You want to move to that first location. What are, what are the initial steps look like between you, your partner Tom, the other partner, to actually start forming this into something real and bring it to life? Are you talking about once we had a little bit of success, how do we get it to ramp up? Or are we talking about uh, how do we get the, the restaurant open? And Even more, so the, the opening stage is at zero to one. So it's okay, I got great, I have something written on paper, now yep. I gotta execute, how do I execute? Well, you know, they honestly didn't have a whole lot to do with it. They were, they were not um, the uh, managing partners. So of course I passed the real estate buy-in, you know, and I said, hey, this is where I wanna be. And they said, are you sure it's a good idea? And I said, I think so. We're going to try it. There's no other spaces. I like this space. So after that, it was really hands off for them. But um, getting the place open, it meant, you know, I had to uh, get my my artists in line and to do all my murals. And I I had to set up, uh, you know, all my purveyors. And uh, at the time, you know, I had to get all my managers in place. I didn't really have managers back then. They were hourly shift supervisors. 
I had to go out and hire the staff. So I was everything myself. I was my HR department. I was uh, managing a small construction crew of probably three people. And we were just in there day and night painting and, you know, drywalling and patching and doing everything that uh, we needed to do to get the restaurant open. So once we actually got it open, I had enough experience in my previous management life that I knew what I needed. Doesn't mean I did everything, but uh, you know, I had uh, my schedules in place, I had my orders placed, I had my bank accounts set up, uh, I had my rudimentary uh, P&Ls that were very basic so I knew how much I was spending. So I knew all that stuff. So uh, it was really me that did all of that. They stayed in the background until we started getting to the stage where we wanted to grow. And then they were very helpful. So you get ready to grow, mm -hmm. right? Everything gets out of the ground. You start getting excited. Things are moving. Yep. How do you start looking at new locations? Do you first expand in Columbus? Do you think about going further out first? Where do you guys go first? Yeah, so it's pretty funny because we, um, me personally, I was my own real estate department as well for the first, you know, 12 or 13 of these. And uh, that was not my background. But I knew the areas. I had spent enough time in certain areas that I knew they would work. And I had enough experience in the business that when I, I knew when a, a, a restaurant was successful, what it needed, certain traffic patterns, certain people, uh, certain other co-tenants around us. So when we were ready, we actually did our second location in um, downtown Columbus. And it wasn't very far. It was about two miles away. But I just felt that that two miles in Columbus was just far away enough and we had enough demand that we would not lose the sales in the first one. And we could uh, get a totally different crowd in the downtown crowd. So we did, we ended up getting you know, our day parts, which was all the downtown workers, which was fantastic. All the plays, all the surrounding neighborhoods, um, German Village and uh, Old Town East. And I knew they didn't quite make it all the way down to us yet. so. I knew that was a great second location. Again, took about uh, a few months then because we already had a name for ourselves. Once that happened, then the partners all got together and said, okay, now we have something special. We need to try it in one market outside of Columbus, make sure it's not a fluke. That's when we went to Pittsburgh. Opened up in Pittsburgh and honestly, same thing happened. We were just very popular. It took about six months very quickly. So. That's when the partners all got together and said, okay, we're doing well, let's scale this thing. Let's start building our office, our sports center, our GNA, and uh, let's start uh, ramping for the growth because in the next few years, we're gonna start opening a lot of these because we have something special here. So a few different questions in that uh, portion of the story. The first one, you talk about the cannibalization between you know, moving two miles apart, making sure that you're not taking customers to the other location. I think for any brick and mortar, uh, mm -hmm. store whether your restaurant or retail whatever it is yep. that's always a large concern how did you guys measure that just in terms of the credit cards that were being processed in location or how did you know that you weren't cannibalizing any of that um, we knew because our volumes weren't going down in the first location and then we knew you know I didn't I didn't have the foresight to say okay I, I know what cannibalization is I had no idea so we just knew that we were doing the same volumes uh, every day of the week we had enough data to see that and we knew that the second one was not taking any sales. So let's say one is doing uh, whatever number and the, the next one is, was doing 
almost as well as the first one. So we knew that it wasn't taking it away. We started learning about cannibalization as soon as we opened up the third one on High Street, uh, Clintonville. And what I didn't see was we were sharing, kind of sharing the same customer as Short North and Clintonville. We were sharing those students in the middle and they were just divided going either way. But to be quite honest, you might go down a little bit in sales at one restaurant, but you're offsetting it with two other restaurants that you're doing, you know, $10 million versus, you know, $4 million at one store. Uh, then you're doing 10 to $11 million with three stores. So it was definitely worth it. Yeah, and it takes a little bit of pressure off your, your mm -hmm. high streets, your yeah. downtown, and the uh, Short North store, which is crowded all oh. the time. So it gets a little bit better uh, experience for your customer. Yeah, it's a little less exactly. And, and that's okay. And we, you know, we're pretty strategic nowadays. So when we opened in places like Polaris, we knew those customers were sometimes visiting us in uh, Short North, maybe once a month. But we found if we opened in Polaris, they're going to visit us twice a week. And they're going to visit us, you know, five, six, eight times a month versus coming to Short North for one special occasion. Just too far to drive. So we weren't really cannibalizing anybody else except for the uh, Short North location. And then you look at present day, do you guys have uh, any type of data or strategy around making sure that the wait times aren't too long in certain locations? Like knowing when a new location needs to pop up and maybe when you're at overcapacity. So you, you don't have to worry about turning down people mm -hmm. and frustrating customers that might have wanted to come in and, and enjoy the experience. Yeah, I think we're getting better at that. In the beginning, we were just so busy that we didn't take reservations. You know, and we didn't take reservations because everybody and their brother would make a reservation. Same thing as I, that I do with two or three other restaurants because you know Condado is going to be so crowded. So you're going to go there. You're going to not make a reservation or and you're, or you're going to come in and you know it's a three-hour wait and you're just going to pass us by and you're going to go somebody else uh, to somebody else and come visit us another time so i think uh, we got a little wiser we take reservations uh, sometimes now we get placed on the wait list and we we use this great app called wisely which has this great alg algorithm that basically um, you have a couple of ipads uh, here a few ipads and People are walking around the restaurant and you see when somebody is finishing up their guac, so you'll punch that in and all of a sudden that 45 minute wait time that you're on will drop down to 15 minutes. So we're using the different tools and technology out there to make the wait easier. And then moving to the scaling phase. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm hitting you with uh, like a rapid fire in here, but you talk about you wanted to go to multiple locations. When did you get to the point where you noted that you started you started to know that you need certain management levels in place? Yeah. And then how did you begin to structure those? Obviously, your experience in the restaurant industry mm -hmm. was probably pretty significant there. Yeah. But what did it look like from a recruiting standpoint mm -hmm. uh, in terms of creating the staffing structure? Yeah. I think in the beginning, we were just going so fast that we were telling Jimmy, hey, you've been with us for six months and you're a great server, you're now our GM, <laughs> Two, oh boy, we have lightning in a bottle, people are really loving us, and uh, we're gonna ramp up this growth. So we made a commitment very early on, about uh, close to two years, and that we're gonna start building our office up, our GNA. So we went out and hired everything, and we're probably five years ahead of a restaurant company this size, 
we're geared for a restaurant company that should have 25 to 30 restaurants. So we have some spectacular people in the office. We have everything from, you know, our president who was the uh, uh, president of, uh, or the COO of City Barbecue, he's now our president, to our COO, Johnny Zila, who uh, is a day one employee with us, who really is the backbone of the company to, you know, the great Amanda Gibson, our senior director of marketing and communications. And, HR department, Mindy, um, all these great people that we put in place to ramp up for the growth, recruiters, training program. We stay very far ahead. We're now looking at, uh, you know, not next month, we're looking at two years out. So, um, you know, we're doing these great training programs that we're trying to hire from within and do this Dotto initiative, which means mentoring and, and getting these people uh, to come up through the system to be management instead of going out, but putting the right amount of commitment into these people in development early on. So a year out, right? A year and a half out. And then we're also supplementing that with our recruiter and getting people from the outside. And we've had some great luck getting people from the outside. And we have a pretty intensive uh, training program of uh, you know five months before we open. We, we've hired the GM and he's training through the system. and. You know, our kitchen manager is three months. They're gonna kill me if I don't know my, my shit here, but uh, something like that. So we're thinking far enough ahead to do that. Definitely, so what about your role? How has your role changed over time? I mean, you said mm -hmm. early on you were doing everything. Obviously, you're probably not right. doing everything anymore. No. But what are the biggest changes for you? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a blessing and a curse. Uh, growth, you can't do it alone. That's why we have these fantastic uh, partners uh, in our support center and in the field. And uh, again, I was doing everything, but uh, you can't do it anymore. So my roles really changed to being the vision, trying to get my point to everybody else and saying, this is where I think it should go. And it's a lot of back and forth. And my word is not always the word. It's a lot of healthy debating on where we should go. But my role has turned into that, it's turned into uh, Condado's biggest cheerleader. Obviously, I'm in there and, and talking to our people and, and getting to know them through the uh, restaurant level. And it's also turned into, you know, stuff that I, I still love, like the food, the R&D portion. You know, we have our corporate chef, but I'm still heavily involved in that. And I still get to be involved in the artwork, which I'm very passionate about. Um, I don't have as much of a say anymore. but. Uh, so I still get to be pieces of what I'm doing, but my role has really changed to sometimes just stand aside and these people that work with us do such a great job that you just let them do their job. And I just kind of pivot out of their way and, and let them do the great things that they're doing. So talk a little bit about the artwork. Uh, what in particular kind of made you um, gravitate towards the way that the art is positioned within the restaurants now and yeah. where does that story come from? You know, it was always about the communities and the communities of every restaurant that we go into. As you notice, uh, everyone is a little different and we've evolved, but uh, the intent was to do this great artwork in these different communities that these restaurants are located that kind of say, uh, we're in Detroit, so we'll have things about Detroit on the walls in this great street art style uh, stuff with our branding elements and our branding characters uh, throughout the restaurant. So you know you're always in a Condado, but it's just a slightly different experience. So did I answer that? 
Yeah, I think so. Do you do you get a different artist in every city or the same person? So we have our master artist that works on staff for us. And uh, the process is, you know, we do the storyboards. We come up with the story. She does. And then uh, me and my visual experience uh, manager sit down and, and we say, wow, this is fantastic. Or, hey, you know, maybe we should look a little more into uh, what they do in Detroit or what they do in uh, Columbus or what they do in Cleveland, wherever we are. And then they will go out and we will hire six to eight local artists in each, uh, uh, wherever we are, Detroit, Cleveland. So we have these great relationships with these great artists out there. And we get contracts with them and uh, you know they come up with this cool storyboard that once they walk into a restaurant, they can do a restaurant, uh, the art on the walls in about 30 to 40 days. So it's a lot of work. It's not just, hey, let's just sketch a little thingy. It's probably six or seven months leading up to when we get in the restaurant. And so when you've been building these restaurants, right, yep. one of the things that I was curious about is, I mean, you mentioned it was pretty similar, Columbus to Pittsburgh to Cleveland yep. to Detroit. Like, you've had a pretty similar experience, but has the market been different? Has there been any, like, you guys have been popular, but have you noticed any key differences in the different markets and the way the cities behave? I mean, I, I will tell you, it's always, it's been, <clears throat> we've been very lucky that people like what we're doing and they're buying into what we're doing. But the differences in some markets, some markets you get a, a better late night. You know, Pittsburgh and Cincinnati, they like to stay up later. They like to uh, drink more beer and, and they, we have a healthy late night. Um, you know, the Dublin's, uh, uh, Columbus, it's, it's an early early uh, thing on the weekends they get a little busier but now the markets uh, uh, truly it's not really changing people love the tacos they love the food they love the environment and uh, so far we haven't had any that uh, tell us that uh, this wouldn't work uh, nationally if we want to take it nationally what does the future look like you mentioned you know you guys are staffed for uh, an organization that might have 25 to 30 restaurants mm -hmm. what are your goals for the next three to five years so we are scheduled to do uh, six this year. We have three more to go, so we'll be up to 16. Next year, we will certainly do six, hopefully eight, if we can find our last two spaces. And then we want to ramp up just a little bit and, uh, and hopefully get to that sweet spot of eight, 10, and 12 year after year only if we have the structure behind us. We'll keep it at six, we'll keep it at two, we'll keep it at one, as long as we have uh, you know, our training department in place and we're not stretching ourselves too thin and losing the culture of what Condado is. So the big picture goals are uh, in the next 15 years, I would love to sit back and go, hey, we've done 100 restaurants and uh, this thing is national now and you know, this is the new norm of dining, right? Great value, craveable food, fresh food, consistency in an exciting environment. So that's the, the big goal is going national. What do you see your biggest obstacles being moving forward? Definitely the people side of it. I mean, we pay extremely well, but we pay 90, 95th percentile of a company that's probably double our size. So the biggest challenge is always gonna be the people and um, hiring ahead. Anybody can work in this business. You know, you gotta have the right culture. You have to treat them right. You have to pay them well. You have to get them invested. That to us is the biggest challenge, is uh, the people side of it. And uh, so far we've done a very good job and people love working for Condado. 
but uh, that will always be the biggest challenge. And Joe, I think that's a great place to kind of pivot towards one of our last questions of the show, actually the last question of the show, which is centered around the theme here on Conquer and Columbus, and that's live uncomfortably. Mm -hmm. And just hearing it, what does that make you think of with respect to your life and career? How does it apply to your team? I would say the thing that makes me the most uncomfortable is losing our culture. So if we don't have the culture to back what we're doing at Condado, uh, we won't have this special thing that uh, we're doing right now, turning into an Applebee's where their culture has completely crumbled um, is one of my biggest fears. So as you scale, you know, live, live uncomfortably to you is, is the taking the chance of that culture falling apart as you guys begin to aspire for that 100 locations Get bigger, right, exactly. That's our biggest fear. I don't, I don't fear opening locations. I've been doing this way too long. I fear a dud every, you know, uh, of course, like everybody else, that makes me uh, definitely uncomfortable. But losing the culture is the biggest piece. And we, we fight hard every day from the support center down to keep that culture because we know that's what makes Condado so special. Perfect. Well, Joe, I think that's a great place to finish off the show here. Thanks so much for joining us today and telling the story of Condado. Yeah, thank you guys. I appreciate it. It Perfect. was fun. And Conquerors, thanks a lot for tuning in. That was Joe Con, founder of Condado Tacos. If you guys haven't been to their restaurants, go check them out. They're all around town. And uh, we really appreciate you guys tuning in every week. Hope you enjoyed that episode. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, Conquerors, that's it for the episode today. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. If you did, make sure to leave a like. Share us on Facebook with your friends. We really appreciate all your support. And every time you share our podcast or leave a review on iTunes, it really does help us out. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus, and their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to work with like-minded businesses to raise money and participate in large-scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunity for youth in our community. To learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That's smallbizcares.org. .org. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done yeah there's a little doubt but you know what once again I think of that guy in my ear I think about stepping up to the stage I think about the challenge like I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost and so like I bet on me any day 
choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.